Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Break. I'm Father Roderick, and it is week 19. I, I count the week, so I make sure that every week you get a new episode. And if you're new to the show, welcome, and I hope you subscribe. And um, sit back, relax. We're going to have a great time together. So I got this call the other day from Star Wars friends, people that I met at the Star Wars celebration in London. And back then, they told me that they wanted to um, to call me up after I was back from London to talk about a special Star Wars request they had for me. And so I got in touch with, or they got in touch with me, and it turns out that the the thing that they wanted to ask me to do was to be one of the hosts or one of the interviewers during an upcoming Star Wars convention. It's actually one of the oldest and biggest Star Wars conventions in the Netherlands. We don't have that many you know, Star Wars-specific uh, conventions in, in my country. But um, the show is called Echo Base, and it's a charity con. So it's um, it, a lot of the like Comic-Con, uh, Comic-Con Holland and Dutch Comic-Con, they're all commercial um, events where you pay um, a, a fee and, well, people make money on that. Echo Base is different. Echo Base is, is made for the fans by Star Wars fans, and the proceeds of the convention go to charity. And so this is uh, a very popular conference. There are lots and lots of Star Wars. It always sells out. Um, it's just one day. And, of course, you, you have uh, cosplayers. But because they've been doing this for so long, they also have a, a, a very good network of Star Wars actors and people that are involved in, in the Star Wars uh, universe. And so they every year they have a ton of great guests. And so what they wanted me to do was to be one of the two hosts of the day where when, for instance, you have panels with uh, actors to have someone who leads the discussion and asks questions and does a bit of a, uh, an interview with those guests and keeps the conversation going and then also functions as a, an intermediary between the audience, so the, the people that come to, to Echo Base, and the actors. Uh, there's always a, uh, a lot of time for Q&A. And so I was super stoked uh, that they asked me. And uh, the reason is mainly because, well, I, I am a, one of those rare specimens of uh, who is both a Star Wars fan and a priest and also speaks English uh, a little bit. So, um, and, and, and a lot of Star Wars fans know me from the reaction videos. I did one years ago when uh, uh, The Force Awakens came out, and that went viral, like super viral. Everybody had seen that. And also in my country, like several TV shows invited me to uh, talk about Star Wars. And so a lot of Star Wars fans in the Netherlands know me as the priest from the reaction videos. Um, so that, that's, that's very cool. And I'm very honored to be able to... Um, uh, to do that for my fellow Star Wars fans. It's going to be two weeks from now on Saturday, so it's the Saturday before Pentecost. Uh, and um, so we've been talking about the, the, the program, and um, I'll be taking care of three panels in the morning. Uh, so there's going to be an Andor slash Mandalorian panel with some of the actors from 
uh, those shows. There's going to be a Return of the Jedi panel, which I'm super excited about because, of course, this year is the 40th anniversary of the Return of the Jedi. And I'm so old that I've actually seen Return of the Jedi in movie theater. So I have very fond memories of the first time, or I, I should say the first times that I saw Return of the Jedi in theaters. And, um, and there are going to be a couple of actors and actresses from, uh, from that era. There are going to be that I'm that I will have the honor to interview. For instance, it's the the actress who plays the original Mon Mothma. She's going to be there. Um, there there are some some other actors. I don't have the full list or the, all the names, but of course I still have two weeks to prepare for those those interviews. And then there's a third panel that I'm also very excited about. It's my friend Justin van der Leck, who is working for um, uh, Industrial Light and Magic for ILM, and he's been involved in uh, not just uh, Disney movies, but he's also a special effects... Uh, um, how do you say that? Col <laughs> um, director or, or maker um, for, for a lot of other movies, also for Marvel movies. Um, he was a very special i think very good at, at creating like digital environments but he's been he's currently working on ahsoka um and so he's back in his home country because he now lives in in the united states he's been living for a couple of years i think also in um in in wellington if i'm not mistaken because he worked for uh, for weta studios at one point so it's someone with an incredible knowledge of special effects who's been super involved in, um, in 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 many star wars productions I, i'm sure that he will do a great job you know, telling his own story. Um, but I'm, I'm also excited to be able to maybe squeeze in a question or two. Of course, it's going to be limited to what he can say with all the NDAs that Disney also always uh, asks from the people that are involved in future pr uh, productions. But of course, he, he will probably be able to tell us a lot about uh, uh, things that are already out in the open, like, for instance, Boba F the book of Boba Fett. I know that he has done a ton of work on that show. Um, so it's, it's going to be so cool. And then in the afternoon, I'll have time for myself to just walk around and be a Star Wars fan and connect with all my fellow Star Wars fans. So I'm ex incredibly excited about uh, going back to Echo Base and to, to be able to help out a little bit um, is even more exciting. So it's going to be a bit... Uh, it's going to be a lot of work to prepare for those interviews and make sure that I have questions to keep the conversation going and then having three panels in a row... Um, yeah, that's going to be a challenge, but it's a it's a good challenge. I never ever in my life thought that I would be interviewing actors from Star Wars. If you told me that when I was twelve years old and in the movie theater to watch uh, Return of the Jedi, I actually don't know, don't remember what age I was, uh, but very young, um, I would have never, never ever believed it. So, gosh, I'm, I'm super excited. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. Now I'm going to give it to you. It is time to talk about movies and television shows, and I've got a couple of things that I want to talk about, and I'm going to do something new on this show. I'm going to record my reaction to trailers. Now, you know me as the reaction priest or <laughs> reaction guy, and I love to, to do that every once in a while. I don't always have the time to record these reaction videos. 
Um, but it's it's something I normally did separate uh, separately from from recording an audio podcast like this one. But I figured since I'm always also streaming this while I'm recording this show, maybe it's it's cool to just do like a first viewing, like an, an immediate reaction to a new trailer. And there is one trailer that I want to uh, to react to live here on the break. June part two. The trailer is here. I'm very excited about it. I love this movie when it came out. I remember I was watching it in my local Pathé theater in the, in the final stages of, of, of the COVID pandemic. And so uh, I remember that I still had to wear masks in the movie theater. But it was a movie I wanted to see in theaters because June is all about the scope of that story. Now, I have to uh, mention that I hadn't read the book before I went to see part one. And there was a, a specific reason. I never was able to visualize the story. I, I, I did multiple attempts to, to finish the book. Um, but it was just such a weird, strange difficult to imagine uh, uh, landscape and, and world building that was taking place that uh, I gave up after a couple of chapters. So what I did, I watched that first movie and I was blown away. I loved it. It was so epic. And seeing it on a huge screen and having that, that the sound design was amazing, the music, the acting, everything was beyond anything I had ever seen in the movie theaters. Um, and then I read the book. But I stopped reading the book at where the movie stops in terms of events because I want to have that same experience of not knowing what was what is going to happen in part two. Now you have to know, of course, now you probably already know that that the movie is actually um, in two parts, so it's not a sequel. This is all covering the events in the book. But the book is so big um, that it takes two movies to tell the entire story. And at the time when the first movie came out, we were all like in a little bit in in um, in, in disarray because uh, we weren't sure that the second part would be made. It only would get green greenlit if the first movie, the first part, was a success. But since this was still in in the pandemic. Nobody knew if the movie, the first movie, would bring in enough money to warrant uh, part two. Thankfully, after just a few weeks, it became clear that this was a box office hit. And that's when they greenlit part two. The trailer is here. I'm going to, I've not seen it. I don't even know what is going to happen in the rest of the story. But let's just press play and I will, I will, you, I'll, I'll share my reaction. When you see sand here, imagine water. If you dive in, you can't reach the bottom. You dive in? Yes, it's called swimming. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe you. In the shadows of Arrakis lie many secrets. But the darkest of them all may remain. Uh, there's that music again, I love it. Beyond fear. The end of House Atreides. Your father didn't believe in revenge. Fury will rise. So is this what about if all revenge? The were still alive? Oh, the visuals are amazing. The blue eyes because of the spice. 
Have you ever had a dream about your first ride? First ride? Wait, are they going to ride a, a warm? No way. No. No, 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 no. Be simple. Be direct. What? What's happening? It's all, it's like in the sandstorm. You don't see what's happening. I understand. Oh, I... Oh my gosh, he's using a harpoon to latch on to the, to the sandworm? <laughs> oh wow. Oh there, you've got the helicopters again. You will never lose me, Bondrades. And there's more of a, a romance in this second part. We gave them something to hope for. That's not hope! May thy knife chip and shatter. Oh! <laughs> huge crowds! Dune oh, Part 2. In theaters, November 3. November the 3rd. I gotta say, this, this trailer blows me away. And I'm... I'm excited that a lot of the stuff that they've been setting up in the first part is now being paid off. Especially that, like, we've seen the, 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 the sandworm only once. And I know from the story that it's a huge thing. These, these gigantic creatures live uh, on that planet and somehow also have to do with the history and about the, the why there is spice there. And I don't know exactly all the intricacies of the story, but to see him ride that monstrosity. I mean, we've seen the Kray Dragon in, um, was it in the Book of Boba Fett or in Mandalorian? I think it is in the beginning of the Book of Boba Fett, where we'd never seen a Kray Dragon. And we, you know that, that uh, George Lucas was heavily inspired by some of the elements of June for Star Wars. This is one of the reasons that we start on Tatooine. On a, on a desert planet, there is even mention of the spice mines of Kessel in Star Wars, referring, of course, to the whole spice business um, in, in, in June. So the Kray Dragon, the way they visualize the Kray Dragon in Star Wars in the television series um, is, is, I think, also inspired by these sand sand worms on, uh, uh, on the desert planet here in June. Um, but... The size of that sandworm is like, I don't know, 50 crate dragons together. It's much more lethal and dangerous than, uh, than, than the crate dragons in Star Wars. Um, and, and the fact that this, this small guy is going to ride one of those creatures is probably one of the reasons that he's going to be seen as their leader. Um, so that, and, and this is also something I'm very excited about and curious about is this whole, these religious undertones because this is all about uh, ultimately a, a kind of a messiah. Uh, at first, you're, you're made to believe that it's a messiah archetype, but then it's all about the flaws in that character, I think. And, and can you tr truly trust someone who presents himself as a leader, as a messiah, or, or will it ultimately end in, in disaster if you do that? Um, there, there's a, probably a ton of stuff uh, in the story that most of June fans and readers already know. For me, 
I cannot wait to discover this on the big screen. I'm a little bit surprised that it's only in November that we're going to see this, but I'm at the same time super grateful that we have this amazing looking trailer and I have no uh, doubt that in the lead up to the release of this movie, we will get to see much, much more. So two thumbs up. What an amazing trailer. Uh, let me switch back to the main screen. If I do that, then the trailer uh, window disappears. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just uh, while I'm recording the show, I'm also uh, I'm, I'm being my own like screen editor. So I press buttons a bit for the live stream and everything. So my apologies to to the audio listeners. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a little bit distracted by because I've never done this before, like doing a a, a trailer live on the, on the show. So I, I have no doubt that in the future I'll get a, a bit more. Um, uh, uh, it'll be easier. What I want to do, by the way, is. Um, you have the Elgato has this small device. I forgot what it's called. I think it's called a stream, not a stream deck. That's the gaming machine, but it's a it's something like a deck, and it has but physical buttons, and you can press the buttons to, for instance, switch camera angles, and and you can program it in whatever way you want. And I think what I'm going to do is see if I can figure out how to do that, so I can just press a button to switch instead of now I have to take my mouse and then I've got to go to the streaming program that I use and it's all creating uh, delays in for for the for my audio listeners so I don't want to do that um, but w we need to go to another trailer um, of a television series that I I I think is amazing maybe one of the best things right now on TV it's not really on TV it's on um, on Disney plus and it's called silo and I think I've got the trailer uh queued up here and i'm, I'm gonna tell you why you should watch this um this series so let me switch back and uh yeah so silo is a new post-apocalyptic science fiction show on apple tv plus and it is amazing i i'm surprised that so few people are talking about it because this is this is really one of the best series right now on any of the streaming platforms. So Silo tells the story of um, a future. We don't know exactly how far in the future we are, but the world as we know it doesn't exist anymore. We are shown that the world has been destroyed. It's extremely toxic. Maybe there's radiation outside. And so people live underground and have been living underground for several generations now in what they call a silos. It's a huge, like it goes hundreds of stories deep under the ground. And people have their own society uh, with very strict rules to to make sure that, that they keep people in check. However, not everything is as it seems. And the trailer of Silo already shows you a little bit of what is going on. So let's watch it. What if what we see is not what's out there? We do not know why we are here. We do not know who built the silo and why we are underground. 
we only know. The world outside our sanctuary is death. If you boil the pact down to one rule, it's do not say you want to go outside. That's the most important rule. Or you will go outside. And of course, some people are gonna go outside. It's based on a book series I actually think about the world beyond the silo. What if what we see is not what's out there? Down a mechanical. There's always someone who has a theory about the silo. So this is interesting. Now they you already need to find out the truth. They already let you know that, that maybe what we think is the truth is not. I People are being deceived. That might have hold the answers to a lot of questions. You have to stay quiet. It looks so. And good. keep your head down. Are you willing to give everything you have for this? The clock is running. There isn't much time left. This is a threat to order in the silo. I don't care about order. What about finding out the truth? Truth versus order. Rebecca Ferguson is amazing in the series. Some design mysteries are best left unsolved. You hear the heartbeat? Kissing of the, of the gate opening. And then, of course, what's outside there? What is happening in the outside world? Um, it started streaming at the beginning of May. And uh, this entire um, series, and I think that the second season has already been greenlit, uh, which is exciting news because hopefully they will be able to finish the entire story, um, is, is based on a trilogy of books uh, that was um, originally, I think the first book was called Wool, so none of the books are called Silo. Um, and uh, originally the book was self-published, which was pretty amazing. It was just a, someone who's... I don't think it was a professional writer, but uh, this guy had a great idea. I, for, uh, I apologize that I forgot the uh, the name of the author. Um, so he, he self-published this science fiction book, and then it got picked up, and people were excited, so he wrote two more uh, sequels to that book. And then the rights to the story were picked up by Fox, I think, uh, 20th Century Fox. They wanted to turn this into a movie. And I, I think they even asked Ridley Scott to direct it, and there was a lot of... Um, like big names were associated with this project. It stayed in limbo for a couple of years. Then, of course, COVID happened and the movie just didn't happen, unfortunately. The books continued to gather a massive audience. It was super popular. And then all of a sudden we heard that Apple TV Plus was working on a television adaptation. So somehow they bought the rights. I think the movie uh, is is um, no longer um, uh, a thing that they're going to do. But this is actually much better because a television series gives it much more room to breathe. And what I love is that if, if I haven't read the books and I'm not going to read the books because uh, the, Apple TV Plus is releasing this episode by episode. And I love that we're back to that. Uh, remember, when, when Netflix started, um, people were, were praising the binge-watching aspect of it. So you get an entire season and you could watch it for, for an entire day and, 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 and then get through an entire uh, season. I personally prefer 
these these weekly releases because it gives you time to take it in. Um, it also gives you much more opportunity to chat about your favorite series with other people online. If you've some people have watched binge watch an entire season, you cannot really share your thoughts anymore before fear of spoilers. Now we're all on the same level. We don't know what's going to happen. Of course, people that have read the book have a little bit more advanced knowledge, but still, it's going to be a surprise uh, how they visualize this. And I've seen two episodes now. The third has just come out, um, and it is amazing. What I love about Silo is that there are a, a number of interesting religious undertones in the story. So, so for those of you that haven't seen it yet, I'll, I'll try to spare you from from any spoilers but uh as i said there's an, there's an underground society and the way that this society holds together is through faith now not religious faith per se but there is faith in um the institutions that govern the silo there is also faith in the in the knowledge uh, that they think they have of the outside world. There is, in fact, a, a place where people eat, and there's a massive screen. It's a it's a TV screen that is, like, several walls long, and it projects the image that is filmed via a live feed outside, and you see that the world is uh, very, you know, toxic, and sometimes people actually ventured outside, but you can see their corpses there. It turns out that that image, that belief that people have, of this is the world outside, may be a lie. Maybe it's what you see is not really what's out there. And so it's all about this. The, 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 as, as soon as some people start to doubt, the whole system starts to crumble. And I think this is playing with the idea of heretics in, in, in religions, where you have people with a divergent meaning and they start to attack some of the foundations of certain religions. But then, of course, it's not just uh, an intellectual thing that happens. That also threatens the status quo. It threatens the people in power. In a way, this is exactly why Jesus was being persecuted at one point, because the people that were benefiting from the status quo, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the people that had high positions of power even even the worldly you know kings and and and, and emperors and uh, uh you know pontius pilate and herod they all benefited from the status quo and then all of a sudden you've got this guy that says you know what you've uh, you have to unlearn what you've learned no wait that was yoda that wasn't jesus but it's the same idea you know like you've always believed this but let me tell you that actually the truth goes way beyond what you ever imagined and this is what starts to be a huge threat for the people in power, and that is why they want to silence him. This is what happens also in Silo, where um, some people are starting to doubt, and they find elements uh, of proof that, that there is something else going on, and maybe they're not as free as they are. And then they are being treated as heretics. They're immediately excommunicated and even expelled. Literally, they're being sent outside to die. And the system tries to keep people in line by creating, and this is another religious element that I think is mirrored in the story, by creating liturgy, by creating rituals. So there's this, this big feast day every year. It's called... 
um, the Day of Freedom or Freedom Day. And according to tradition, and people have been living there for several generations, so nobody really has any recollection of what happened before these silos were built. But according to that tradition, um, there was a rebellion at one point in the history, and that rebellion was such a threat to the whole society underground because they, they wanted to let people out. And that, that rebellion was repressed. And that, according to tradition, is now the reason that you have to celebrate that every year to, to know that the people in charge are there to protect you, that the rules that you, you follow are there to protect you from whatever evil is outside. But what if that is all a lie? There's also um, birth control. There is a very, very strict regulation of who can give birth and who cannot. So people are... Uh, com it's compulsive to be sterilized, at least um, like artificially. And only if the government, the people in charge, allow you to have kids that... that um, uh, mechanical, um, how you say that? Pro, uh, prophylactic. prophylactic? Um, it's it, it's removed, and then you have one year to actually try to get kids. Turns out that even that is is manipulated, and so there are very very awful like rules that are being presented and no this is for the good of all of us we can't have overpopulation we'll all die if there are too many people living in the silo and but it turns out that the actual reason for this anti-life kind of uh, um, uh, rules and these anti-life rules and regulations is, is all about power it's all about control keeping people in check and and being able to it's a bit like what happened in china where the government was prohibiting people f from having more than one kid. And of course, you can, you can imagine what that does to families, to the overall balance. We're, that's not supposed to be the way we live. And so there's a rebellion against that as well. And, and, and I don't know what's, what's going to happen next, but what I like already of these first two uh, episodes that I've seen is that uh, it's all about, you know, questioning the faith, questioning the people in charge. And questioning is not becoming an atheist, but it's it's always continue to use your brain and dare to question the people in charge, dare to question your own faith and beliefs. It's only by asking questions that you will ultimately find the truth. But if the pursuit of truth itself is is forbidden and is being repressed, then you know that you are no longer uh, part of of, a, of an honest uh, system. It means that 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 if if people forbid you to explore and to ask questions, you are in a sectarian situation. And that that's the big difference between a church and and a sect. A sect is some is a, is an institution that tries to repress people's freedom and keep them in line through power, whereas faith, in, in its ideal way, is, is always about freedom. It's about it's motivating people to, to be curious and to explore and to ask questions. It's only by asking questions that you will learn that you will become wise. 
Um, and so the story seems to take a stance against um, forms of reli religion that use religion to repress people and to rob them from their freedom. It's, it's, um, uh, it's also a, a protest against doomsday thinking that you sometimes not only see in, in religions where they say, oh, the, the end of the world is near, so you all have to do what I say. Uh, that can have horrible consequences, that, that, that kind of thinking. Um, but it's also used in politics, which also sometimes has kind of almost religious undertones, the way that people use paint like a, an incredibly dark um, version of the world in which we live. That, that they, they all constantly talk about uh, impending doom, everything will collapse unless you vote for me. You see this also in certain, uh, um, uh, you could say, groups in the Catholic Church where they say, oh, with this Pope, everything is going to hell, literally. People are going to hell. This is a, an anti-Pope. He he's destroying the faith. And if this continues, nobody will know anymore what the truth is. And so we have to stand for the principles and the dogmas. And it becomes this very militant distortion of how the church has always grown and evolved and, and, and asked questions and sometimes course-corrected. It doesn't mean that you are violating the truth by asking questions. It's about being honest and about taking uh, scientific progress into account and thinking and rethinking and, and using the Bible as a light that guides you instead of a lantern that you hold on to when, when you're in a storm or when you're drunk, you know? <laughs> and uh, I like those bigger themes in Silo. So highly recommend it if you have Apple TV+. Plus. Don't hesitate to check it out uh, because I, I think we need series like this. This is science fiction, I think, at its best. All right, let's take a short break and then we'll talk some more about Star Wars and anime. But first, it is time to visit the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! It's time for a quick visit to the Peculiar Bunch. And this is where you can ask anything you always wanted to know about Catholics, but you were afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And since we're still in the period leading up to the Feast of Pentecost, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit uh, once again. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. What? Do superheroes have in common with the apostles? That's a that's a difficult question. I, I asked this to the kids in church this Sunday. I asked them, do you have a favorite superhero? And what is their superpower? And how did they get that superpower? And so you see them thinking they don't expect a question like that in church. And so there's this girl raises a, a hand and says, uh, my favorite superhero is... Um, a spider ghost. I'd never heard of spider ghost, but apparently it's one of those Spider-Man variations out there in the multiverse. 
And then another one said, oh, I love Black Panther. It was another girl who said, I, oh, if I could be a superhero, I'd be Black Panther. Another guy was like, I want to be Flash. I love the Flash. He's so fast. And so all these kids had a, a favorite superhero. And then I asked them, but do you know how they got their superpower? For instance, Spider-Man, how did he get his, his powers? And then, of course, all the kids knew immediately. You saw all the older, older people in church, and it's like, what? what is this priest talking about? What is this Spider-Man? Uh, but the kids immediately told me, no, of course, it was because Peter Parker was bitten by a radioactive spider. And then the next morning, he was super strong, and he could uh, uh, you know, conjure up like spider webs, and he could swing around between the buildings in, in the city. And so every every superhero has a, uh, an origin story that teaches us how he got that superpower. There's always a, a moment where a regular girl or boy changes and becomes a super a superhero. And then I said, you know, th there is actually one superpower that is better than everything else. And I, I asked them, well, what would that superpower be? You know, what, what, is, what superpower is better than any of the other superpowers out there? And one, the, the boy who said that he wanted to be the Flash, he said, oh, it's lightning, because then you can just use so much energy. And I said, you know, yeah, that can be handy sometimes, but not always. Lightning can also be dangerous. People can get hurt if they're struck by lightning. So maybe not. And then another uh, kid said, oh, it's flying. I love flying. I said, yeah, flying of course, who hasn't dreamt of being able to fly like Superman? But you know what? Nowadays, you cannot fly around. You would get fined immediately. You cannot even fly a drone without having permits and everything. So flying, maybe not the best superpower. And they were like, so what, what is a superpower that you can always use and that can immediately change the world for the better and can change you and can change other people? And then, of course, you, you know where this is going. I said, you know what that superpower is? It's the power of love. These kids have no idea what I was referring to, but immediately in my head, I, I, the song was playing, you know, it's the power of love. <laughs> and then, it immediately dates me. But um, Huey Lewis in the news, in case you are also of a younger generation and you don't know what I'm referring to. But the power of love, I said, that is the best superpower. But how do you get that? No, first of all, why is that the best superpower? Because if you love, it changes even bad things into something good. For instance, you can say, Oh, it's raining today. I hate rain. It's awful. It's cold. It's wet. I have to go to school in the rain. It's terrible. Why? Why is there rain? But you can also try to love the rain. And instead of complaining about it and being uh, really mad and, and, and unhappy, you can also say, hey, there's water coming from the sky. And... That's great because we need water to live and it's going to make the nature beautiful and the flowers are going to grow. And if we have a, a lot of water in, in the form of rain right now, maybe in the summer when it gets really hot, we'll still have enough water to drink and to, to for, our, for, for um, the swimming pool and, and maybe the nature will have enough water to drink. So if you look at rain that way, and all of a sudden... Like it turns into something great and something you're happy with. The only difference is, is you. You love, you try to love the rain and see the good side of it instead of 
hating. So love can change something that you may have always seen as bad into something good. I said, I said that's also that you can also use that on people. So, for instance, you know someone who is really nasty and is not kind, or or is maybe uh, 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 hurting you, or is 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 not patient or mad at you, our initial reaction is to do the same back. You know, if someone hits you, you hit back. If someone yells at you, you yell back. If someone is unkind to you, you're also unkind to that person. I said, you know what? This superpower, love, can change, can sometimes, not always, but can change sometimes even bad people. So next time someone is is not nice in school and maybe is 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 yelling at you but maybe ask yourself well but maybe something is going on that i don't know of maybe that maybe that kid has has it has a difficult time at home maybe maybe he or she is not feeling well and instead of yelling back maybe i can ask hey i i could see that you're upset um what's going on can i can i help you if you're being kind to someone who's not kind to you, sometimes that completely changes that person. And I'm, I'm, you know, I, I wasn't giving examples, but I've ex- actually experienced that quite, quite often when people are attacking me online. Instead of 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 uh, replying with a nasty comment or a quirky, snarky comment, um, sometimes I just ask them, to, "Hey, what's going on? I can see that I upset you." Um, is there something I can do to make it better? And then sometimes people will completely change, and they will tell me, "Well, hey, yeah, you know, actually, I was, I was having a bad time uh, in, in my life, and I was, I was, uh, I, I was just reacting to that." But it's it wasn't about you; it was about me. So love can can change people for the better. Love can give you patience. Love can 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 make you have hope. Um, and this is why Jesus talks about that superpower. I told the kids, I said, you know, in the future when I will not be there anymore because I'm going back to my Father in heaven, I will send you a helper. And and it's like a superpower. You won't be able to see him, but he will live in you and he will give you the same power that I have. The power to heal, to comfort to forgive, to be patient, to change the world. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. It's the same Spirit that gives me the ability to do so much good in the world. It's the Spirit that my Father gives me, and I give it back to the Father, and now we're going to give it to you. And if that Holy Spirit, that superpower lives in you, You'll be able to do amazing things, maybe even greater things than I've done. That's what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. And then I, I, I wrapped up my story by asking the kids, so when is that moment that the apostles get that superpower? There's this one moment, that one day. And then the kids, of course, were thinking, hmm, how did they get that superpower and I said, you know, it's not it's not because they were bitten by a spider. And I'm very glad because I don't like spiders. And thankfully, there are no radioactive spiders in the gospel. But there was a moment where they got that superpower. And then, of course, one of the kids guessed it. It's like, oh, it's Pentecost. I said, exactly. Two weeks from now, it's Pentecost. That, And we, we, we commemorate 
that day that the apostles were all together and they'd forgotten about that superpower. They'd forgotten that that God loved them and protected them and and they were afraid and they had closed themselves in. And that's when they hear the sound of the wind and then there's something that looks like fire that comes down from the heavens and then it's in them and that fire burns in their hearts and all of a sudden they, they, they have that superpower to no longer be afraid and to go out there and to preach that message of love to anyone in the city. And, and the, the cool thing is, it is truly presented as a superpower because all, there are a lot of people in the city that don't speak Aramaic that the apostles spoke, and yet they are able to understand the power of love and, and the language of love. You don't need words to express that. You, you, if, you, if someone loves you, you feel it. You understand it. So that's amazing. It, it even goes beyond our borders and what separates us. Love can bridge any, any gap and can go beyond our own limitations. That is why love is a superpower. So I figured, hey, I've explained this to the kids. Maybe I can explain it to you as well. And maybe that helps you to understand what the Holy Spirit actually is. It's the power of love. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I finally read a book that has been on my list since forever. Uh, the moment I read about it, I was like, I need to read this book. This is so much... Uh, in, 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 in the genre that I like. The book is called Legends and Lattes. And yes, you heard that correctly. It's about lattes, about coffee and, and legends. It's a very original story. And it's, it's often described in reviews as a cozy RPG-inspired story. Now, for those of you that are not gamers, RPG, role-playing game, uh, it's a genre... Uh, that is it's a fantasy genre of games where you um, explore the world and you cast spells and you defeat orcs and, and skeletons and you find treasure. Now, most of these games are focused on combat and, and discovery and, and treasure hunting, but this story uh, takes it a step beyond that world. In fact, it starts by introducing us to a female orc and she has done fighting. It starts with her, uh, you know, get a glimpse of her former life. And then she decides, I'm, I'm over this. I don't want to fight. I want to settle. And she arrives in this village. And during her conquests in the past, she has discovered this, this brew, this strange concoction, this drink in, in one of the countries that she visited. And it's called coffee. But nobody in that fantasy world has ever tasted coffee. But she remembers how well it tasted and how much energy it gave her and how, how it made her feel. And so she decides to try to, to brew coffee for the people of that village. And so the story is basically about her opening a coffee shop, like a, 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 a Dungeons and Dragons version of Starbucks. And, of course, a good story also needs uh, a nemesis. And so there, there are actually several people that, that are trying to block her in, this, in, in realizing this dream. And 
at first she tries it by herself and fails and then she encounters other people who start to help her and there is this other animal and uh, turns out that even if it's a very shy and small animal it's able to to make the most delicious cookies and cakes and everything and so they she starts to sell um in in addition to the coffee um cakes and so it's it's very funny to read about basically a, a like a starbucks startup project but it's all in a placed in a fantasy environment and uh, and then more more and more people start to help her and then of course uh, there is a disaster that happens and then she overcomes that with her friends and you know and all and good all good um, uh, the, the the actual story is much less eventful than I expected it to be I love the premise but I also have to be honest that at the end I was a little bit like okay so now yeah sure. The, the, the premise kind of outstayed its welcome after a while. I was like, okay, it's, 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 it's a cozy story. It's funny. It's a bit predictable. And the stakes are maybe on purpose very low. It's not supposed to be this like, oh my gosh, I can't believe what happens next. No, it, it, it's a story that, that immediately resolves conflict and problems. And it's much more focused on, on the value of friendship um than than on you know conquering the world or uh defeating whatever enemy crosses your path so the message of the story is nice and and uh and refreshing uh, but towards the end i was like yeah I, I can't see where this is going and it's actually it's going nowhere it's not a real conclusion of the story um there is a a romantic development between the female orc and another female character, which, when the book was first published, was still um, kind of remarkable. And people was like, oh, yeah, we have a gay romance in this book. Uh, this is new. This is cool. Um, but now that we're a number of years after the publication of this book, you know, th this has been such a staple ingredient almost of, of, of so many television shows and, and books and, uh, and movies that it almost feels a bit like, yeah, it's 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 almost a trope, um, but of course that is in hindsight because at the time that was still not something you saw very often, especially not in this fantasy genre. So um, it's it's a good read. It's an entertaining read. Um, at the at the same time, it's not a book that I would reread. Um, uh, there was another short story uh, that was part of the book uh, of the version of the book that I read, which was also, you know, it's a fun read, but nothing very memorable. So all in all, a cozy read. I can say what all the reviewers are saying. Um, I gave it uh, three stars out of five, but it doesn't mean that it's a bad book. It's just uh, I expected maybe a little bit more after reading all the hype. Um, there's another button I want to press, but I don't know which one it is. Um, oh, yes, of course. Um, oh, I, I don't have a jingle for that. It's, uh, I want to talk uh, very briefly about video games because this, this is an amazing week for Zelda fans. Now, Zelda is a Nintendo property, um, and it's a series of games, and it goes back decades based on the stories of a young explorer and a princess, and it's, it's taking place in a, in a fantasy. And these games were adventure games, puzzle games, uh, all very, very well executed. 
And every generation has its own Zelda games that they love to play. Now, I've been playing um, uh, catch-up with a, a number of those Zelda games um, because I didn't have a, a Game Boy or, or Nintendo devices. Um, uh, so I've only recently uh, purchased a Nintendo Switch. And I've been loving the, 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 the Legend of Zelda games, especially Breath of the Wild, which is an amazing, amazing game considering the hardware on which it runs. So the Switch, as is usually the case with Nintendo, um, is not, doesn't have the best chips or, or abilities, but what Nintendo does really well is optimize its software. And so I've been playing Breath of the Wild for a couple of months now and it is so big and it's such an immersive world and it's so, the, the story is so amazing the music is beautiful the graphics are insanely good and now this is the week that the sequel to breath of the wild is released and what i want to do now is to react to the trailer for that second game i cannot wait to try it out myself because it looks so incredibly good but I've promised myself that I, I will first try to finish at least the main story of, of Breath of the Wild because I don't think that people would forgive me if I skipped the genius of that game to go to, um, to the sequel too quickly. But I, I, I'm very happy for all of you that have already finished uh, Breath of the Wild and are now enjoying the sequel, which is called Tears of the Kingdom. And Here's the trailer. And it starts with uh, a flight through the skies and the clouds. And there's a beautiful sunrise or sunset. And, and, and one of the things I love about the Zelda games is the music and the cinematic approach to the game. So you see these beautiful landscapes, golden trees, and a creature knocking it down and there is Link falling or skydiving oh man that, the camera work is amazing and that's the logo the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom and so Link is using the same like parachute device that he has in the first game to land in the same world I think this is the same world as Breath of the Wild but it looks even bigger and he's climbing uh, a, a mountain so you get a better view. And now we're f the camera is following Link while he's running. But you, saw, you now also see different parts of the world that we saw in the first game. So apparently there's a disaster and there's lava and there's a lava monster. And you see a slow motion. And I think it's Link and, and Zelda there? I'm not sure. More running. Oh wow, it's cool. There's a big ship in the sky, and there are puzzle games, of course. And I'm so glad that Link is again riding a horse. Oh, the, that horse riding looks even better than in the first game. And there are dungeons there too, clearly. Zelda. Oh, there she is. We rely on your knight and that legendary sword he carries. Our last line of defense will be Link. Cool. Link. 
and that, of course, is Link. People sometimes think that the, the, the knight is called Zelda, but no, Zelda is the princess and Link is her knight. Oh! A horse and carriage! That's new! Oh, wow. Oh, wow, look at that! The levels are so diverse. And again, the horse riding looks so good. I know why I am here. It's something only I can do. I think Zelda is from the UK. Do not look Ooh, away. More, more monsters. You witness a king's revival and the birth of his new world. Uh oh, so there's a bad guy who's trying to take over okay, the world. Let's go. And here's the theme, I love this music. But you are not alone. Oh, it looks so amazing. You are our final hope. You are our final hope. Wait, wasn't that Princess Leia who was supposed to be the final <laughs> Oh no, Obi-Wan Kenobi! <laughs> A princess and a knight. You know what? Actually, this is like Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and Leia. <laughs> but man, am I excited about Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Um, these games are expensive. This is also why it took me a while to play Breath of the Wild. Because I never pay full price for the games when they come out. Um, I, I, I usually wait a year, or sometimes even longer. And then every once in a while, one of these Nintendo games will go on sale. That's how I picked up Breath of the Wild. But a good game doesn't require me to play it right away. So I will patiently wait for a good deal on, on Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Another way in which I often get my games is I wait for people to have finished the game and then they will put them on... on uh, uh, they, they will either sell them online uh, as second-hand games. We also have those game stores, uh, like, for instance, GameStop in the United States, where you can pick up secondhand copies of the game, and this is these games the, for the Switch are on 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 ROMs. So it's a tiny little rectangular chip that you put inside the Switch. It it's very easy to um, to sell secondhand, and this is also why I bought the. You can you can now also buy these games on in, in the online store. I always make sure that I get the. The, the actual physical game, because I know that if I'm done playing the games, these games are they take days, if not weeks, to finish. But once I've finished them, I'm not going to do a second playthrough. Life is too short for that. So then I can recoup a bit of the investment by reselling my game as a secondhand version. That's also how I often get my own games. I just buy them secondhand. I have patience, and patience, in this case, uh, is rewarded. Speaking of of cool things and very very cool things uh, and and great epic stories, I need to talk about a new anime series that I started to watch, and it is so incredibly good. It's called Vinland or the Vinland Saga, and uh, many of my followers on TikTok have told me you have to watch it. It is so good, and I finally got around to watching the first season. I'm now currently in. Uh, the process of watching the first season, and it is very cool. What is it about? It's based on a manga by uh, Makoto Yukimura, um, and uh, or probably Makoto Yukimura. I always have to uh, look for for where where do you put the emphasis. 
in those names. And it is, um, it's a Viking story. Uh, and, and that at, it seems a bit weird because why would uh, someone from Japan, from a Japanese background and tradition, tell a story about Vikings in the North? Well, it's, it's the exotic nature. This is one of the reasons that um, in, in Neon Genesis Evangelion, which was my introduction to the world of anime, um, the, the, there are so many Christian symbols, and there's so much... Uh, um, so many referrals to the Christian tradition because for the makers, they weren't Christians. They aren't Christians, but they were just mesmerized and intrigued by this very different culture full of symbolism. And so they took all those symbols and put them in their own very Japanese story about mega robots. And um, uh, and that makes for a very interesting encounter of cultures. Well, in this case... Um, uh, the the uh, the author uh, Yakimura was has, had always been fascinated by those stories about the Viking times, and of course we're talking about the Middle Ages, right? This is around the year uh, one thousand, where um, Vikings we call them Vikings now, but they were they were people from Denmark, and they conquered the seas. They were very good at at their seafaring business, and they uh, arrived in England. And they started to conquer England and to settle there, which, of course, wasn't, um, wasn't uh, considered to be very amusing to the people <laughs> on that island. And so there were lots and lots of wars. Now, of course, the people in England, uh, a number of them were Christians. There were monasteries. And then the Vikings would, would attack the monasteries and then sometimes kill the monks. And, and they would pillage these village around monasteries. I've, I've been in, in Scotland, and I was following the trail of these monasteries monks in these Celtic monks in uh, the northern part of, uh, of England. And, uh, uh, and, and so we saw actually entire ruins of, of monasteries that had been destroyed by Vikings. After a while, of course, over time, when these once these Vikings settle, there's also a bit of a mix that happens. And so the, 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 the slowly elements of the Viking culture start to permeate the local Celtic cu culture in England. And, and I love, I love the, that interaction and that interplay. But of course, ever since I, I went on this big tour through Scotland and England, um, I, I, I've been intrigued by the history of those Vikings. And this series, Vinland, is all about uh, the, the, the plight of these Vikings. And so it tells the story of a young boy uh, whose father has, has fought in these Viking wars. But at one point, he deserts uh, the rest of the Viking army, and he, he begins a family and lives uh, almost as a pacifist in Iceland, where the situation is very tough and it's very cold there, and, uh, but it's also very remote and hidden. But then at one point in his life, his past comes back to haunt him, and he's called back to war. There is a conflict, and um, his, his fellow Vikings that um, knew how how good of a warrior he was, they come back and say, hey, even though you deserted, um, we want you to come back and fight at our sides. And, of course, he is very reluctant because he is now a father, he's responsible for his family, but he does so anyway to protect his village because the consequences, if he doesn't uh, respond to that call, is that the entire village would be destroyed. 
So in order to protect his family, he leaves and it doesn't end well. And so the story of Vinland follows this young boy on his quest to avenge his father. Now, why is it called Vinland? It's because um, Vinland was the name that the Vikings gave to the east coast of, of North America. They were, they were the first uh, of, of uh, people of Europe to discover uh, the United well, not the United States. <laughs> that's a that's a construct from much later in history. But to uh, to discover the Americas, and so five centuries before Christopher Columbus, the Vikings already managed to reach America, and they called it Vineland because it was such a a stark difference with their own homeland where everything is cold and it was difficult to grow uh, uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, and, and, and wheat, but, but this new continent that they... They, they didn't know it was a continent. Uh, they actually... Most of the Vikings thought that the earth was flat and there was nothing beyond the sea. You could only fall off the edge of the, of the earth. And so some of these Vikings were so brave to just continue to explore despite all the, the myths about big sea monsters that would uh, eat you up. And that's how they discovered uh, the continent of America. And they called it... They saw the vines. They saw the, 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 the green grass and everything. And so they called it, this is Vineland and became Vinland. And that is the title of uh, this, um, this anime series that is based on the manga. And um, there is now a second season, uh, which I haven't seen either. But I, now that I've seen a couple of episodes of the first season, I understand why people are so excited about this. Now, this is not for the faint of heart. There is quite quite a bit of graphic violence but it's also you know this is about a violent part of history and um it is a, it's based on history that makes it for me already so interesting to explore and they do actually show some of these vikings torturing um the, the monks and so i see part of what i'd already discovered in scotland i see this reflected in the story of vinland which for me makes it interesting um, enough to, to keep watching. And then, of course, it's, it's a romanticized version of history, so not everything may be historical, but I want to explore it, and I want to see it, and maybe even create some videos about it, maybe giving some, some um, sharing some background knowledge about, those, uh, about that era. Um, but this is what I love about anime, is it's not just one type of story. Yes, a lot of anime, if you watch it from afar, it always looks the same, but I've seen already so many different stories and different cultures that have influenced Japanese anime culture that um, it, there's always something new to explore. And the, the, the Japanese are so good at, at visualizing these stories. And their, their way of storytelling is also so different from, from our pacing. You can even see that in Zelda, The Tears of the Kingdom, if you've seen the trailer, there is a certain slow pace in the beginning, something that you rarely see in American or in European game trailers. Th th there, is, there is something about this Eastern way of telling stories that, that sometimes is all about atmosphere and about beauty and about music and not so much immediately about story. And, and, and for me, anime is, is plunging myself into a different universe that I'm not that familiar with, but there's so much to explore, and oftentimes it's so beautifully told and so wonderfully visualized. Uh, Finland Saga, check it out. I love it. And with that, 
I think it's time to talk about technology. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. This was the week of Google I.O., which is the annual Google event where they present new hardware, they talk about their accomplishments, they talk about all sorts of new projects, and they usually don't mention all the projects that they have very quickly abandoned, which is one of the issues, I, I think, of a company like Google. They, they have a ton of great ideas, but it's they, they sometimes just... They, they sling everything against the wall and see what sticks. And so a lot of great projects that they used to have in the past and people started to work with are now abandoned and uh, they acquired a ton of companies that they then subsequently closed down so it's a bit hit and miss with google however i have to say on the on the hardware level they've been really making good progress and i was super excited to see a number of new devices being presented to the public first of all the google fold which is the first foldable phone made by google it looks amazing it's very thin and it feels to me as if that type of technology has finally reached a certain maturity. Uh, there are not that many foldable phones. The ones that I've seen so far are quite bulky. But what makes this phone so interesting is not the hardware, because you know that over time all these companies, maybe even Apple, will get this right, and we will get these foldable devices that actually are unbreakable and, and super flat and, 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 uh, and, and lightweight. Um, but what makes this so important for Google is they have now fully invested in making tablet versions of their software. If, if this is going to be one of the staple formats for people to use Android in, you can hope that with Google taking the lead, other developers will, will now make proper um, tablet versions of their software, which is a very common thing with iOS, thanks to the iPad, but it's still extremely rare in uh, the Android universe. And I love Android. I've been using Android. I still use it on my secondary phone. Um, there are some aspects of Android that I actually like a lot more than iOS and, and vice versa, to be honest. But um, I, I really hope that the, the one thing that was missing for me was, was uh, um, you know, tablet support for Android software. So here's hoping that the Google Fold will have that. Then there was the Pixel 7a, um, which is kind of the consumer version, slightly cheaper version of the Pixel 7 that was launched last year. It's got um, very good cameras, even better camera software, according to photography experts. The, the algorithms that they use to improve the image uh, of their of their um, uh, lenses and their cameras is better than than what a what Apple is doing. Apple is flattening uh, the image a lot um, and and over um, sharpening some of the photos, whereas the profiles that Google use feel much more natural. So I like that actually because it challenges Apple to do better. And Apple is don't get me wrong is still amazing. But I feel like the one thing, for instance, that is lacking with Apple phones is a pro mode, 
is where you can set the white balance and you can you can f make you can choose the aperture and the frame rate all that is you can do it sometimes with third party software but it always feels a bit tacked on and clunky and it's an actual problem i've i've noticed this myself while filming with the iphone if you change the camera angle sometimes the the white balance will will change or it will um suddenly uh, like brighten the picture while you're filming and then it was like oh wait a minute no it's actually it's too bright now let's tone it down a little bit that footage is unusable so i as a professional myself i want professional control especially if you if i am to buy the what is it the, the iphone 15 pro which is still on my wish list for this year um, I hope it will have some of the pro functionality that, that Google seems to add to their Android camera software. And then there was the Pixel tablet, which is even bigger than the Google Fold. And they, um, they enter with the tablet, they enter a very saturated market. The iPad is actually not a very profitable business for Apple. They still make an iPad every year, but they don't sell that many and everybody who wants a tablet already has one. Samsung makes also excellent tablets. So why is Google, how is Google di uh, differentiating themselves from all the other tablets out there? Well, they do it, I think, in a genius way. They provide you with a speaker stand that is slanted. You can click the tablet on top of that charging stand, but the, the stand itself has a speaker in it. So it turns your tablet all of a sudden into a hub. A Google Home Hub. Yeah, now my own hub is thinking that I'm talking to it. A smart home hub, sometimes also referred to as a smart hub gateway bridge. A smart? She's now telling me what a smart hub is. Center for a smart home. Yeah, I know. Yes, yes, yes. Shut up. Okay, thankfully. She's quiet now. I wish I had like a kill switch for this kind of stuff. But anyway... So uh, the hub, uh, I have a, a hub, I don't dare to say the G-O-O-G-L-E word, um, but, and it's in the kitchen, and it's the bigger hubs. You've got the small ones with the smaller screens, I have those in several rooms, and then you've got the big one in the kitchen. I use it all the time. I, I, I use it in the morning when I make my breakfast to watch the fragments from the late night shows on TV the, the day before. I use it to uh, watch recipes and there's so much I do with that. But to know that a Pixel tablet actually turns into a hub, uh, the moment you charge it, I think it's genius. I love my uh, G hub, and uh, but it's got a small screen and it's kind of slow. It's got a very slow processor. It's several years old now. Um, this, this, all these new devices from Google are very fast. They've got very, very good um, uh, hardware and software. So, yeah, I'm actually interested. It's $499, just as the Pixel 7a, so it's a bit steep. But seeing how much I use my current hub to have a bigger screen and to be able to have both a tablet, an Android tablet, and a hub for the same price, yeah. I actually really am interested. And um, from all the devices that they introduced, uh, this is this is probably the one that I may actually purchase in, in the near future. Um, all right. Uh, they also demoed some of the AI work that they've been working on that was interesting. They've got very cool like, editing software like Magic Editors. They, they've got, they in integrated um, Adobe's image generation, text generation, 
Um, this is also going to be implemented in, in Google Workspaces. So, um, and as an organization, uh, Tridio, which is the, organi the umbrella organization for my work, we have Google Workspaces, so I can't wait to, to start experimenting with that. Added AI um, for, 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 for Gmail and, and for other stuff as well. Um, what I also loved is with the image generation, they, they want to prevent people from abusing that technology uh, you know, you, you can now create very realistic images and even video of people that have never done or said what you see in the image. So uh, the, the, the European Union is already working on, on legislation to make sure that we know what the truth is. And because, of course, as you can imagine, the more realistic this becomes, the more people can take advantage of this politically or otherwise. And so, um, But Google is already like labeling this as AI-generated genera stuff. They will add information. And, and, of course, they will be able to detect whatever they have been generating themselves. So uh, it's good to see that this company is aware of also, not only of the magic of this AI technology, but also the pitfalls of it. There's one last thing on my list that I want to talk about. Let's talk about Lego. You know that I'm a massive Lego fan. I've got even my own Lego YouTube channel. And if you're not subscribed yet, make sure you do. It's youtube.com slash brickpriest. Or is it the brick? I think it's brickpriest. Anyway, just Google for brickpriest and you will find my, my YouTube channel. And I love to build sets. I'm currently uh, doing these live streams from a set that I'm building based on the Disney castle. But I'm super excited about a new set based on the Ninjago franchise. This is something that LEGO uh, came up with themselves. LEGO, of course, is known to use other uh, um, uh, intellectual property, like, for instance, Star Wars or the Avengers, and, and, and make very successful sets. And the Hobbit, we've got Lord of the Rings sets, uh, like the, the recent Rivendell set, which is absolutely stunning. But with Ninjago, they created their own IP, and they've uh, created an animated series that was very popular with kids and still is and there's going to be a new new series a new um phase you could say of the ninjago uh story that will be on on tv or on streaming networks or probably on netflix um very soon and they continue to create what i love the most about ninjago is these these builds these city builds um, when when the Ninjago Lego movie came out, they introduced uh, a very cool set, which was this big tower building, um, but made of all these, these typical Ninjago type of situations. Very detailed sets, a lot of fun to build. I actually have that first Ninjago's a city garden. No, I've got the city set and I've got the city garden set. There's also a harbor set, which is now un unfortunately unavailable. Um, so you can only get those secondhand. And they have just introduced a new set, which is maybe maybe the coolest one so far. Because it, it, um, uh, it's called City Markets. And um, it consists of two buildings... And in the middle of these two buildings, there's a river with a nice uh, Japanese uh, curved uh, bridge that your minifigures can walk on. And then these two buildings are also connected with uh, something that I've never seen in Lego. And that is a, uh, a ski lift. It looks like a ski lift. But in this case, it connects the lower part of the city 
to the higher part of the building on the left. And it moves. And it makes the set all of a sudden much more than just a building. It's almost like a little Ninjago world in itself. The set consists of 6,163 pieces. That is quite a considerable piece count. But the price is, is actually surprisingly low. And if I say low, it's still very expensive. But it's, it's a lot cheaper than previous sets. It's $369.99. And that's both in dollars and in euros. So it's just, it's a, there's parity. Even though hmm, there's still a difference between euros and, and, and dollars. But anyway... That makes the, uh, a piece price per piece of only six cents, which is quite something. So if I if I scroll around and um, I look at the, all the details, what, the first thing that strikes me is how colorful it is. This is why I, I actually have two other city sets of Lego Ninjago. I, I love colors and I love all the tiny funny details. This is these these are so much fun to build. Um, and it's a modular building. So both buildings, on the left and on the right, you can take them apart and you can look inside. They actually have little rooms and details that are hidden on the inside. So it's not only a set that it's fun to see from the outside, but it's also fun to explore all the little mini-stories that they've created on the inside. Um, what I also really like is it has that river um, that is, that is uh, especially in the back, you can connect this to the other sets. That's one of the cool things about Lego modular buildings is you, they interconnect. And you can, you can put them in, in, in various uh, configurations and create your own version of the Ninjago City. Um, if you look closer at the ski lift, you can see that it can even hold minifigures. And there is a cable transmission and it i suppose it has a lever so you can move that cable train uh back and forth and i'm sure that very soon people will find ways to motorize this so you don't have to do it by hand um the individual uh parts of the building are also very cool the vibrant green colors in some of them there's a little mini scene of a, a bakery where someone is 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 baking cakes or, or bread or pizza maybe even um, there is a pool table, uh, like a miniature pool table. I always love how they use um, just a few elements, a few uh, blocks to, to, to immediately convey what you're looking at. And so I don't, I don't think I've ever seen a pool table in Lego. Um, there is also uh, the inclusion of um, a disabled person, someone who's in a wheelchair, and you've got a wheelchair lift. And, and this is part of the effort of this Danish company to make sure that Lego is more inclusive and that kids who are, for instance, in a wheelchair or have another uh, um, handicap that they struggle with, they, that they feel represented. Why should the Lego world only consist of healthy, strong, you know, regular white kids? Um, the, the world is very diverse. And so um, I, I applaud it that Lego is making... Uh, a good effort to introduce minifigures that actually are like minifigures, like like people in the real world. Um, you see that even with Barbie uh, uh, toys nowadays, that, that you know, there used to be only one type of Barbie and one type of Ken, and now you see that they too are diversifying just to make sure that kids can play with the toys that represent them and their world as well. Um, there are lots and lots of, of tiny details that I love, but what makes this set 
for me, the most appealing is just the overall visuals, the balance of the construction, the 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 combination of colors. It's never garish. It's very loud and very uh, colorful. But at the same time, there's a certain harmony in this build, and and, and it's interesting to look at. I can stare at these uh, at these builds for hours and hours. There are also with this set, you get a ton of minifigures, most of which, of course, are featured in the series, in the animated series of Ninjago. Um, the box is the box artwork is amazing as always, and the boxes themselves are collectors' items. They're so beautiful. And uh, Lego also shows uh, usually a few very, very beautifully made photos of, of kids make building the set. Um, and, and they even show you the set and what it looks like if you would place it on display on a bookshelf or something like that. So all in all, very uh, impressive set. And uh, even though I already have a few ninjago sets that i still need to build this one is now on top of my lego wish list but let's first build the other ones all right with that it's time to start wrapping things up and before i do that i want to do a shout out to my wonderful patrons we got a few new patrons um at the end of the month i will uh, i will uh, make sure that I mention all of the new patrons this month and know how much I appreciate your support and I hope you appreciate the community because patrons are not just donors that help me pay the bills they're also a wonderful community that is very supportive and we talk about a ton of things you can even learn how to play Dungeons and Dragons in our Discord server and you can become a patron uh, for as low as 250 a month that's not 250 a week. It's 250 a month that will give you access to the Discord server, and uh, you can hang out with us. And it's you can learn how to cook. <laughs> you get video game tips. Or we have a book reading club. There's so much to do. So I hope you can join us by becoming a patron. Just go to Patreon.com/slash Father Roderick. All right. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll talk soon. Make sure to follow me on social media at Father Roderick and to check out the videos on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fatherroderick and youtube.com slash brickpriest. Take care. May the force be with you. And we'll talk soon. What's a good Lego way to end this? Everything is awesome. <laughs>